1: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In a College Coach Conversation. Uh, I'm going to start this off as I often do. Well, for starters, we are in the early days of our eighth year. Of doing this weekly podcast, so we celebrated seven years a couple of weeks ago, and so we're working on our eighth year. Very exciting! If you like this podcast, please review us on Apple Podcast so that other people can find us. Um, we have a really packed show today. We are doing another segment in our series on financial aid awareness in honor of February, which is Financial Aid Awareness Month, um, and we're also going to be talking about planning college visits. So for those of you who are getting started in the process or have students who are getting started in the process. We're going to be talking about actually getting to some campuses, which we can hopefully all start to do now. But before we get to that, um, we are starting to see some schools, some colleges um, over the last couple of years who've been offering students an opportunity to start their college year abroad. Um, it's something that is it's been around for a little bit, but I think we're starting to see a few more schools offer it. And so we wanted to talk a little bit more about that. And joining me for that conversation is my colleague, um, who also happens to be a former admissions officer for both Barnard and Bennington colleges, uh, Elise Krantz. Hi, Elise. Hi, Beth. Thanks for joining today to talk about this. Um, because I do think sometimes it's a surprise when students get these invitations to start school abroad, um, in, in many cases, something they hadn't thought about or said yes to. So I think I'd love to start with, you know, why do colleges offer these programs?
2: So if you think of it, it's sort of like a traditional study abroad program that most students would typically do their sophomore year or maybe their junior year of college. But colleges were realizing that they were missing out on the chance to enroll more students bring them to their off-campus location um, they would start their fall semester at one of their their international spots um, and then they'd be able to continue paying tuition at that point they'd still be paying for their traditional fees at that point um, and then just merge right in with the campus community when they rejoined in the spring so that may sound um, a little bit cynical I suppose in terms of you know the, the the financial aspect of it but I do think it started as a chance to find, more opportunities to enroll more students. So it did benefit the colleges, but there's certainly a lot of pros from the student standpoint as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, exactly. The fact is that, yeah, I mean, colleges are businesses, right? So they rarely do they make decisions that aren't driven in part by good business. And while it is good business for the colleges, I agree. I think one of the big pros is that if they only could admit... 500 new freshmen, I am using very small numbers here, but and then doing this abroad now allows them to admit 550 freshmen, right? there's There are 50 students who otherwise would not have been accepted to this institution. So we talk or there's a lot of talk uh, about the idea that so many of these colleges are just getting more and more selective. And this is a way to be slightly less selective and open up more spots. So that's the, that's the nice view of it, the less totally uh, business-driven view of it, but no doubt. But why don't we, I would love to kind of touch on which are what are some of the colleges that are offering this? Northeastern is the one that immediately came to mind for me because that's the one that I saw probably 10 or more years ago. I worked with a young woman who was admitted to Northeastern, but was invited to begin her time there in London rather than on the Boston campus. So I was curious about some other colleges that might be doing that.
2: Right. So NU actually, I think they were one of the first on the scene. They started, so. believe it or not, in 2007 offering this program. This is, Crazy. it's been around for a while and more and more colleges seem to be adding on. Um, Syracuse was one I've been hearing about for a while too. Um, there are some smaller liberal arts colleges that are offering it like Colby um, and Skidmore colleges. Um, but there's also some larger state universities like UNC offers it. Um, and There's American has a brand new program that they're just starting up for a spring semester instead of a fall semester. So it's a pretty wide range of schools, mostly on the selective side, I would say, that are doing it. Um, But small, large, public, private. It's a nice mix.
1: Yeah. And it makes sense, right, that it would be the more selective because they probably have more students who would want to go there than they have spots available. And so now there is this cool new program. But yeah, the 2007, that doesn't totally surprise me. I, I It's a little scary for me to think about how long ago it was that I worked with that student, but suffice to say that she is well out of college by now, so um, without totally dating myself. So what do you see? Uh, we talked about how this is good business and, and how it's a positive in terms of more students getting accepted, but what in, ter- in your view are some of the positives of the programs themselves?
2: So for some students, the idea of being in a very small, intimate environment is a huge pro. Many of these programs are capped at maybe a dozen or so students. Yeah. So you're not in a sea of other first years, it's not overwhelming. Yes, you're in a new country with a new culture, but for students who thrive on that sort of adventure, for students who, you know, for whom the traditional campus experience maybe just isn't exciting enough and they just want to boost their experiences a little bit or have the opportunity to do internships or even community service abroad, this jump starts that opportunity. So it can be a really exciting standpoint from that and because they're small also, you get to know your professors really well. So it can start a nice relationship building from that sense that could then carry on your the your remaining years.
1: It feels like kind of a nice transitional period between high school and college, right, where you're not just simply going from maybe a school where you knew your teachers really well to a school where you don't know anybody But instead, you get placed in this much smaller program where your professors are really involved. So from that perspective, I could see it really being um, a great way to kind of transition into college life. On the flip side, what do you see as some of the negatives for that?
2: So certainly students for whom they need a very structured experience where they know exactly where they're going to get their their support from academically or even emotionally. Students for whom um, the idea of being plopped in a foreign country uh, without your family, without people you know, I mean, it can be really overwhelming. So a lot of these programs on their websites, on their application, talk about the maturity that's required, the open-mindedness, the curiosity, the independence. Like, you really need to be ready to tackle something this big. I mean, going to college alone is a huge transition. Like even if you're living the good life in a dorm room and you've got, you know, your, your meal plan, but, and then imagining that stress on top of that, you know, being with, with, with surrounded by, by by international people, um, new language, new culture. I mean, it can be, it can be overwhelming for some students.
1: Yeah. I mean, I remember when I, I did study abroad when I was in in college and just Getting on the plane to head to, I went to Paris, and getting on the plane there, I swear, it wasn't like I had never been anywhere before, but I had never been abroad. And when the doors closed, there was definitely this sense for me of, oh no, Like, what have I done? What is this going to be like? And I think to your point, for some students, simply going away to college is going to be a huge thing. And to add on top of that, going to another country to start does feel like it could be really daunting for some students. You know, when you, I I mean, I think you've already kind of talked about it a little bit, but when you think about students who get this opportunity and, and you encourage it, what do those students typically have in common where you would think, oh yeah, this, you'll love this. This would be a good option for you.
2: So there's a lot of students I've worked with lately that are really interested in foreign languages or other cultures. And they're looking to expand. And the idea of having to wait a few years before they can do that international experience, it's not their first choice. And so the idea that they could um, really start charting a, a path for themselves academically that is unique to their specific interests. Um, also, there are some programs like Tufts's program in particular. It's not just about study abroad and and the culture, it's also about social justice. And they're mm-hmm. taking um, community service is a big piece of that. And so for students who are looking for a really immersive um, and cultural experience, it, it's really can be fantastic. Um, but it's not it's not for everyone. But and it's and it's certainly a limited number of spots at these programs. But generally speaking, these tend to be really nice choices for students um, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this who are looking for maybe a slightly slightly less selective way to get into that dream school um, right. because these programs are not as coveted as much as the traditional on campus experience.
1: What's your take? So in in many of these applications, um, they will ask if you are interested right in doing this program, you can't typically apply that might be coming. But at the moment, I don't believe you can specifically apply to Northeastern and say, the only way I go to Northeastern is if I get to do this program in London or this program in Greece or wherever in my freshman year. It's more of a, if I can't be admitted to the regular campus or to the 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 traditional campus, I am willing to start in a foreign country. What's your sense of the impact on a student's chances, or maybe you've found new information and in fact, you could apply directly and and only to that.
2: I don't know. Yeah, I did a little digging. So mostly I was looking at schools that use the common application. um, And this is usually a question that appears on the either academic page um, or the main page of the application where it says, would you be interested? We have this great opportunity. Here's a link to it. Check this box if you would like to be considered for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually the starting point. So for students who check that box saying, yes, I would be willing to consider this. You're not bound to that option. It's not right. as though you have to go to that study abroad program um you know, if, if you are admitted to the regular university. But the trick is, though, that if you do check that box, they do have the college has the option to say we are willing to admit you, but only to that study abroad program. So you don't right. always get the choice. You can always say, no, I don't want to go at all to your school. But sometimes that's the only way you would have the entry point, like your student at Northeastern. It's, it's mm-hmm. either that or nothing. Um, right. Right.
1: Well, to that end, I have had the experience where a student will get accepted to that and then say to me, well, I'm going to ask them if I could start on campus instead. <laughs> what What's your take on that? I know that what my take work. on that is. It doesn't work.
2: They, <laughs> yeah. they, they have a select number of spots. And although it is a very unique and niche type of student, I think, who would do well in these programs, they're, they are still small enough for the most part that colleges can fill them pretty well. So it's not as though um, the acceptance rate for these is so much greater than yes. those for the regular program. It is still a major hurdle to get into these schools at all. And then if you happen to check that box saying, yes, I would consider it, it's maybe going to give you a little bit of an extra boost if they're willing to consider you for that for that particular program. Um, but it's still going to be a selective overall process um, that and if you're not interested, don't check the box. I mean, that's, you don't want to be admitted to the school and be sort of pigeonholed into the only abroad option.
1: Right. Right. Two things that come to mind for me about that. The first is um, I see this as being similar to what Penn State does. So when you apply to Penn State, if you want the main campus, they also ask, would you consider starting in the summer? And because they have a fairly robust summer program. And when we attended, we being my son and I attended the information session, they were very clear that your best, you could give yourself two chances to be admitted to the main campus if you check that summer box. So basically, they go through and they take everyone that they can to the main campus, and then they'll take a second pass on the ones who checked the box on the summer and admit some from there. So I sort of see these abroad programs as being similar to that. Whether or not it actually functions exactly that way, I couldn't say one way or the other, but my guess is that it gets you a second look um, by checking that box. The second thing is that very interestingly, I did see some reports on um, a couple of groups I belong to on social media of students who did not check the box being offered acceptance to an abroad location. Have you heard about that? Any thoughts on that piece?
2: Right. So this is one of those, like, what is happening here, right? I thought I applied to the regular program. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden they're saying, we would love to have you, but you have to start in right. England or in Italy or in Spain or Ecuador, or whatever, you know, wherever.
1: Which, by um, the way, that all sounds amazing to me. But it does. I'm it's also I've different. been to college already and I'm, I'm coming at it from a different perspective. But right. anyway.
2: <laughs> um, so for those students, it's it's when the admissions officers are reviewing these applications, they may have a real interest in a particular student. But because of the level of competition, because of the limited number of spots that are available on campus, they just don't have the room for that particular student. And so they can say, listen, we really want you here. Eventually, right. we don't have space here, but we have space at this fantastic, you know, beautiful international location. Consider that, my friend. And so it's then up to the student. Um, but if that's again, if that's the only op- option that they were offered, it's usually that or nothing.
1: Right. It's not like, I think in all cases, it's not like they would have offered you a spot on the main campus, but then they just decided, oh, well, she checked the box, so I'm going to give her Italy. Or he didn't check the box, but, you know, we'd like him. We could put him to the main campus, but we'll just admit him to an abroad campus. It's definitely, I believe, a very thoughtful process. And it's a, just like what you said, we really want you in, in other days, you might have gotten a wait list, right? But here you're getting this offer instead, and you know I mean you don't have to go to your point, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So
2: And some of the programs are just a fall semester, some are a full year, some are just spring. So I would say check out you know, see what's out there, see what the options are. And if it's a school you really love, I would say it's it's worth checking the box if you're if you're open to the idea.
1: Right. Absolutely. And I guess also noting that even if you don't check the box, you may get that offer. But, um, you know, that, that's where you kind of can make a decision. And maybe at the end of the day, when the dust settles and you are six, seven, eight months older than you were when you initially applied, the idea of starting college abroad might suddenly be more appealing to you anyway. So um, it's interesting options, interesting times in college admissions. Uh, Elise, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. All right. Well, we're going to take a very short break. And when we come back, we are continuing our celebration of Financial Aid Awareness Month with more about financial aid, specifically how you can use financial aid offices as a resource to help you through the process. So don't go away. us on twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. trn get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's voice america trn
0: when it's time to go through the college admissions process look to bright horizons college coach for ethical guidance and customized support our educators will get to know your students ambitions and talents help highlight hard won achievements and create a plan for getting into a top choice school That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We are celebrating Financial Aid Awareness Month here at College Coach in the month of February. And joining me today to do another in our segment for this special celebration is my colleague, Beth Feinberg-Keenan, who also happens to be a former financial aid officer at Northeastern University. Hi, Beth. Hi, Beth. Uh, It's funny. We were just talking about Northeastern because we were talking about study abroad programs and how Northeastern was kind of a pioneer in this area, starting college abroad. So, and here we are continuing, not with that theme at all, but with Northeastern as a as a source. So, um in this segment today, we were we were talking about the idea that the financial aid, financial aid office at an individual college could really be both a resource and an ally for you in the process. And so, I was hoping that we could talk a little bit more about the ways in which they can help starting with early in the college process because I think we often don't turn to the financial aid office until we have our acceptances in hand, and we're we're maybe unhappy with the award, and we're looking for more, right? But really, they can help earlier in the process. So, can you talk to us a little bit about
3: that? Definitely. Well, the first thing is is you know don't be scared to contact the financial aid office. I mean, there are people just like you know you and I are Beth yes and. That's what their role is. They're there to really help guide and assist families in affording that particular institution. But there's so many ways that you can interact with the financial aid office, whether in person or even virtually. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be on campus and you're going to an open house, if you're doing a tour, you wanna speak with the financial aid office, make an appointment um they're busy so it's important that you you know don't just show up and expect that somebody's going to be able to meet with you but if there's things that you want to find out things that you want to learn about financial aid that you can't find on their website then see if you're able to make an appointment if you're not going to be on campus see if you can make a phone appointment see if you can do a virtual appointment because you know just like you know I'm working remotely, you know, many financial aid offices are also still working remotely. So you may show up and there's nobody in the office that can assist you at that time and day when you go there. But the website is your friend, too. I think that there's so much information on the website. Uh, As your student is researching colleges, uh, look at what are the financial aid deadlines? What are the applications that they require to apply for financial aid? Uh, So know that many students will start kind of tracking and putting together some type of tracking tool uh, to put admission schools that they're interested in, admissions deadlines, applications, add columns for financial aid. You can find that on their website. Look at the cost of attendance if financial fit is a deciding factor. Um, Think about types of financial aid that are offered. Um, You can find all of that on the college websites. And I encourage all families specifically really in like junior year of high school, early and senior year to make use of the net price calculators on the college websites. So whether it's an in-person conversation, whether it's a, um, you're getting information off their website, as you mentioned Beth, there's so much information families can get early on in their research.
1: Yes, absolutely. And so now we're past the research phase. Your student has decided where they're going to be applying to college. And as a parent, now it's time for you to complete the financial aid applications. And maybe the student is doing that alongside the parent or maybe it's just the parent. Can the financial aid office help with that piece of the process?
3: You know, they can. They're not necessarily going to sit down with you and walk through the application with you line by line. Mm -hmm. So if you do have questions on the financial aid application and you're not sure, you're getting stuck. Like, I don't know how to answer this question. Um, Whether it's the the FAFSA or the CSS profile, how do I answer this question specifically for maybe an institution, give them a call. Um, You might get somebody who's just on the front lines, they might not be able to help you. Um, So you might have to make an appointment to speak with a financial aid administrator at the school, but... give it a shot. They might also have other resources for you. I know like when I worked in an aid office at Northeastern, as Beth mentioned, we actually used to do high school nights. So we actually used to staff probably two to three high school nights. But, you know, with the age of COVID, I don't know how many schools are still doing that, if they're doing anything virtually. But many schools often are aware of resources within their area that might Mm -hmm. offer some type of guidance maybe it's a live webinar maybe it's a tape webinar that you can you know participate in and maybe they have somebody who's actually walking line by line during that presentation and you can get it on demand and you're like hey like i didn't realize i had that you know that there somebody's made these presentations you know what right you're probably not the first person who has a question about filling out the financial aid application Yeah.
1: You know, it's a little scary. I will say I've been doing this work for 20 years. I have an entire team of people who are experts in this, and I have been putting off filling out the FAFSA Uh, because I started to do it and I got a little intimidated, which is (laughs) silly. I know. But so I guess all of this to say that I get it. I do. And I feel for parents. And I, I know in the end, it's really not that hard, but it feels like it will be. And I think that's the the hope is we can get past that. And, and, you know, I know they're doing some things to try and streamline the FAFSA, but um, I will caveat this by saying that if I thought we were going to qualify for aid, we would, have <laughs> a pol- we would have applied by the deadlines on time. I am a little bit dragging my feet, mostly because the only reason we're, we'll submit it would be so that my son might be eligible for a work-study position or something like that. But it isn't essential to our process right now. Otherwise, if you haven't submitted it, is, and it is essential, drop everything, stop listening to this and go fill out the FAFSA. So anyway, um, but that's good advice. Um, And uh, I I don't know that I ever thought about calling the financial aid office if I had a question about the FAFSA. And, you know, maybe they're they're busy and wouldn't be able to help, but they might offer some resources, like you say. Um, So, Families are going to start if they haven't already. They're going to start receiving financial aid award letters from colleges alongside those acceptances. Um, if they need more help or they're help to understand the letter, or maybe they're looking for more money, where is the first place that they
3: should go? In your opinion, they really need they really need to call the financial aid office. Yeah, you know, if they're if they've had a change in circumstances. Um, it's important that they communicate that with the financial aid office, because maybe that change in circumstances might warrant a reevaluation of mm-hmm. the family's ability to pay. And if it doesn't warrant a reevaluation of your ability to pay, then you know what? You actually might qualify for additional need based financial assistance. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that also always comes to like the forefront I think about is like, every school doesn't have the resources to meet 100 percent of financial need. And so you may be thinking like, Hey, I filed for financial aid and the results came back that I should be only expected to pay $10,000 or $20,000. Mm-hmm. And this financial aid package is, you know, it's really good. It's, you know, twenty, thirty thousand $30,000, but it's now I have to pay $40,000. And where does the school think that I can come up with that money? Right. I, mean, I can't tell you how many times I have conversations currently today um, with families who are like, how did they expect me to pay the difference? And I mean, it doesn't hurt to call the aid office. I mean, the worst that they're going to tell you is, is no, there's nothing else that they're going to be able to do, but you're going to be able to make an informed decision. Like, Mm -hmm. Hey, if this is what it's looking like for year one, what's necessarily going to change in years two, three, and four. Like if you can't afford it year one, or you're saying, Hey, it's a stretch for year one. Think about the big picture. Um, Because, you know, aid offices want to make the school affordable and they want to help students enroll at their school. But they also just don't have like unlimited drawers of money that like, Hey, thanks for calling. You know, right. You know, what if you, you know, I'm so happy that you came in today because let me just open up my bottom drawer and I'll just pull out, you know, right. Another (laughs) $10,000. Exactly. Like that was one of the things that I, you know, I, I least liked about when I was in an aid office is that I'd have a family sitting there right in front of me, um, we didn't necessarily have appointments at that time. They could walk in and they'd have their student there in front of me and being like, we can't afford this. And this is like our second or third child. And I'm like, you know, I can maybe help with a couple thousand dollars, but some of them had like gaps of like 20, 10, you know, $15,000. And like, I get it, you know, aid officers are there to help. And yes, they they have, as we to say, limitations. It doesn't mean that they can't offer additional assistance, especially if there's changes in circumstances, or maybe that, They've gapped, you know, gapped you that you don't mm-hmm. have enough financial aid to meet what you're expected to pay, but expectations have to be realistic too. I mean, right. schools don't necessarily have an extra ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 laying around for every family that says, you know, hey, that's what I really need, you know, right. to, to make this school affordable. Right. Exactly. Well, and it goes back to what you were saying about
1: starting with the financial aid office early and making use of those tools that they make available on their website and they're not always the most accurate but it will give you at least some idea of of what you can anticipate so it shouldn't be in a perfect world a total shock if you get an award that's less than you thought it might be yeah um, what about uh, you file your paperwork you filled out those you you know you went you did your research and you you used the calculators and you did all that but then in in the time between when the f- the FAFSA or the CSS Profile, are both were filed. You had a change in circumstances. What do you do then? Is the aid office the first call you should make
3: again? Definitely. Um, schools aren't necessarily going to be able to make a decision right on the spot. Check the school's website. Some of the schools may actually have a form that they require families to fill out. Um, where they're asking you, like, what what is that specific change and outlining it. And then they're also going to ask for supporting documentation. So be prepared. Like, if you've had a change in income, like they're going to want to see what you've made year-to-date. They're going to want mm-hmm. to see if you're collecting unemployment. They're going to want to see if you have a severance uh, because they're not just going to say, hey, your income went from X to zero. Right. They, want to look at, they want to look at, you know, big picture. What does that change really mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think calling the aid office, having an initial conversation, if that's going to give you that peace of mind, And then knowing that you're going to have additional steps. If you don't necessarily need to have that initial conversation, you know what? Put together an email. Um, Fill out the form if the school has a form. Lay it all out for them. Make sure you have the supporting documentation and send it along and then follow up with a phone call. Mm -hmm. We've had a change in circumstances. I've sent an email. I included X, Y, and Z. Is there anything else you need from us? Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that, you know, when you're reviewing what's really happened right now, That there's nothing missing and you're able to come back to us and, you know, tell us if there's anything else that you can do to help. Right. Right. But uh, yeah, I think so important.
1: Right. You have to reach out. I think going back again to one of your earlier points, which is you can't be afraid to contact financial aid that they can't help you if you don't reach out and initiate a conversation with them um, about that. Here's another question that sometimes come up. Uh, maybe you get a financial aid package. that includes loans, um, but y- the family needs to find them. Can the college, can the financial aid office actually re- recommend loan options that will
3: help you cover the balance if you can't afford it? So typically, most financial aid packages are going to include a federal student loan. And most you know, aid officers are going to say, hey, if you need to borrow, that is the loan that the family should take out first. Students right. should take out the federal loan that's been offered to them. But above and beyond that, no, aid officers are not recommending a lender. This mm-hmm. or They're not recommending whether you go with a plus loan or whether you go with a private loan. That's a family decision. Yeah. They have tools and they have resources. Um, many schools will list a large list of lenders on their website of who they've processed loans through in the past. Many schools also have tools, something like Elm Select or another tool called Fast Track, where families can... Put in information about what they're looking for a loan, fixed interest rate, parents taking it out, students taking it out, variable interest rates. So they'll look at those different components and you'll, then you'll get a grid or you'll get a list of different lenders that you now can, you know, review right. um, and look at, you know, what makes the most amount of sense for your family and your specific circumstances in borrowing.
1: Right. And I, I think that's good, though, to, to your point, why, you know, they can't be in the business of recommending specific loan providers, um, because that gets them into a whole other world that they don't want to be in. Oh, um, all right. Last question. Um, and you did mention earlier that, you know, what the financial aid package you receive is for the first year. And what? Um, Can the financial aid office help families to plan out what they should expect beyond that first year, Um, you know, in terms of what they might see in increased tuition, whether or not their financial aid might increase to match that um, increased cost? Uh, How can you take advantage of the financial aid office in
3: that situation? So some colleges take it one step further. Like I know, like when I was at Northeastern, we had a nice packet that we used to send to uh, students who deposited, not all admitted students, but deposited students. And it allowed them really to plan out their four years. But yes, financial aid administrators can help with those conversations. You know, most of the scholarships that students receive, those are guaranteed for the four years, as long as the student meets certain requirements of GPA, maybe major specific. And then if it's need-based financial assistance that's offered, That's going to really depend on the college. I mean, if your your circumstances don't change from year to year, most schools will say, hey, that there were, I want to say like guaranteeing it, but you shouldn't see much of a change. Right. But for some of the schools that do meet full financial need as determined by the financial aid applications as college prices go up. And if your expected family contribution stays steady, then maybe you might actually see a slight increase in the financial aid that you're receiving from year to year. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think colleges, you know, they know what their policies are. They know what their trends have been. So they're going to be able to tell you, like, on average, yes, our tuition increases 2%. Our tuition increases, you know, our costs increase 3% or more. And, hey, what else are you know we looking at that, you know, our packages stay steady. Um, You can can expect an increase in student loans slightly each year. But beyond that, you know, maybe they don't do anything. And so then you as a family have to plan for those. Right. Those increases increases in tuition.
1: Exactly. And I I do really, really like your point and kind of almost want to end on that note, which is you should certainly be looking ahead and planning it out and making sure that if you're concerned about how you're going to afford it in year one, that's only going to get worse in years two, three, and four, and possibly five if a student takes a little longer to graduate. And uh, you need to be smart about it and don't get yourself into something that is going to really cause you significant financial hardship When it's all said and done. Beth, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it.
3: Thanks, Beth, for having me. Have a wonderful rest of the day.
1: Yeah, you too. All right. We're going to go to commercial, but when we come back, we are talking about college visits. So don't go away.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment, or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com Now, back to the show.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Um, We're on our third segment, and we've just talked about financial aid awareness. And when you visit colleges, taking a trip to the financial aid office, and so in a nice continuation, we're talking about college visits now, specifically planning them, and joining me for this is my colleague Jay Bonham, who's also a former admissions officer at both Kenyon and Hamilton, but probably a little more importantly for the purposes of our conversation today, he's a current father, the father of a current college student and a current high school student a junior specifically, Um, so he has really uh, specific insight into college visit planning because he has done it and is doing it. Hi, Jay.
4: Hi, Hi Beth. How are you?
1: I'm good, thanks, and we were saying before the the segment today that this should be a good conversation because I also recently went through the whole college visit planning process um, in my own life. so
4: Right, exactly. It's a fun time.
1: <laughs> it, it absolutely it really is. I actually very much enjoyed the college visits that my son and I did together. And um, I, I've, of course, seen, been to many colleges and done a lot of college visits in my time. It was certainly a much different experience doing it with my child by my side and looking at the school from his perspective rather than simply from my perspective of, oh, well, when I'm working with, I know that student is really interested in the school, I'll have to remember what I'm learning here and report that kind of thing. So it's different. Right, exactly. So why don't we start where all good things start, which is where, you know, where, yeah. where should students and parents who want to plan some college visits get
4: started? Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, I mean, I think you want to find out from your child like what kind of places that they're interested in, and that of course is will develop help the student develop the list that not just for visiting but also of course for applying down the road. And I mean, certainly from a planning perspective, I mean, of course, it's really important to look at geography (laughs) and, and to have an understanding of like where the schools are located, where, how many you want to do in a day, like what you think is feasible. Um, And so, I mean, one place to start is just sort of like, if you've got the list that, like, you know, your son or daughter is interested in these schools, what makes sense? Like, what makes sense for you as, as the driver or as the the chauffeur, so to speak? Um, And, and sort of figure out like what, what the, what the directions were going to be like. Uh, And that's certainly where we started. I mean, we looked at, I mean, certain parts of the country. And so we knew that, okay, we're going to be in like New York state. And so basically opening up Google maps and sort of seeing where the campuses are located and trying to figure out. Um, So a lot of the early stuff is logistical um, and certainly take advantage of the Google maps, figuring that out, but then also, individual schools' websites, of course, will have great directions. And many times they'll say, oh, we're located 20 miles from this school or this school. And so that can also help for, I think, the planning purposes.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what we did. And my my son's dad took him up to the kind of Pennsylvania, Ohio area, mm-hmm. and they planned something out. And then He and I, my son and I went south. And, um, you know, one interesting thing that happened when we did that sort of geographic plotting is that we ended up adding a school to the mix that was not initially on Mm. his list of schools of interest. But because we were gonna, we basically were flying into the town where it was located. I said why don't well why don't we just start there and see what we yeah. think and he wound up really liking the school and adding it to his list of colleges to apply to so I think there's value in in not only looking at the schools that your child has specifically identified but if there are a couple of schools in the area even one that you yeah. hadn't considered right just like maybe If you have the time, right, take take an extra day and go and visit that school since you are there because you kind of you don't know what might happen. And and it could be could end up being something great for your child.
4: I I totally agree. And because, I mean, it helps to um, if they enjoy it, that's great. It might be one more school to add to their list. But if they don't, it's it's not like you've wasted too much time. And it also just helps to reinforce the qualities that your son or daughter is looking for. Right. So um, I think the other thing to add is certainly when you're looking at these different groupings or how you're trying to plan things out, is to look at different selectivity as well. And of course you're going to do, do this with your college list, but I think you want to do this with visits also, making sure that you don't just go to all the highly selective places.
1: Yes. You want to
4: have a mixture so you can see the differences and, um, and, it, and that you also may find that there's a place that's you feel more attached to that maybe in the past you would not have visited because you thought, Oh, I won't have an issue with that school. But it just, I think it's important for you at this, at this stage to look at a wide range of schools um, and go from there.
1: Yeah. I, I could not stress that enough. If you come to the area, if you come to the Boston area where I live, um, it is, there are so many different right. schools that you could see. And when I'm working with a student and they say, Oh, yeah, we came to Boston, we visited some schools, we saw Harvard, MIT, and then we drove down to Providence and saw Brown. I, yes. I just like it almost makes my head explode because, okay, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't be visiting those places for a student who's, you know, who has the qualities those schools would look we be looking at or even if you're just curious what's all the fuss about. But if you're going to come to this area to simply visit those schools, in my opinion, is a really missed a missed opportunity yes. to perhaps engage with and, and find other schools that are also great that maybe are admitting more than 3% of their applicant right. pool. I don't know. Call me crazy, but it seems like a good thing to even that out a
4: little bit. Um, No, exactly. And and it, I think just makes for a better experience, just broadening horizons and, um, and who knows? I mean, there, again, there might be a school that you add at the last second that you just really fall in love with and attach and and get attached to it. So important to look at that broad range.
1: Exactly. Totally agree. All right. So you're, you've got your geographic area, you know, which schools you're going to visit, what are the things that families should be doing at a, on a very basic level in a visit to a college?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, if let's say we're talking about juniors that are sort of, they're trying to finalize their list. I think you want to make it as official as possible. And so signing up for whatever kind of admission events they may have, whether it's mm-hmm. the information sessions, campus tours, I mean, that is going to be at a minimum like the 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 events that you want to do right now of course signing up is that it can all happen on online and just go and um, sign up for the different events I would say given where we are with regard to the pandemic and and COVID it is very important for you to do some Mm pre-planning because I think gone are the days where families could just show up in an admission office and say oh can we go on a tour so you want to make sure you plan ahead and so you can get into the information session get in, and get also certainly get, um, um, and get signed up for the, the tour as well. Right,
1: exactly. And the the place to go for that are the college's websites. That is where all of this happens. Um, I feel like these days people do understand that. But even as recently as five or seven years ago, I would have parents say, so how do we do this? We call, nope, go to the website. If there's a reason to call, they will let you know on the website, but it's almost all taken care of right there on the website, which is good.
4: Yeah. And and it means that you can spend an evening and sign up for like a couple days of worth of of visits. And so that, I mean, you also, in your mind, you may have it mapped out one particular way and then you find out, oh, this school doesn't offer tours on this day, but it will the next day. And so you may have to adjust some things. Yes. But again, you can do it all from in advance and it'll just make for a much more productive trip.
1: Yep, I would agree. The one thing that I did find that I would encourage families to try is um, you go online the tour and information session on the day that you want to be at that school is full um, and they can't accommodate anybody else or, um, you know, they don't offer tours or information sessions on that day. So you switch around and then you discover that you've just changed your whole trip and you can't get into that one. Um, At that point, I would pick up the phone and call. I had pretty good luck um, with one institution where they were full, but I called and said, hey, we are, you know, we're traveling down from Massachusetts This is the only day that we can be there. And all of the days that week were filled. So it wasn't like we could have switched our trip and gone on a different day. You know, is it possible? Have you had a cancellation? Could you fit us in? Because of COVID, it's, you know, in the... In the old days, it feels like, yeah, you know, oh yeah, we'll just tag you on along right. on this trip or on this tour, whatever. It was not a hard thing to do, or we will get another tour guide because we have a lot of overflow and they could accommodate it. With COVID, it's a little bit more difficult, but in the, in the case where I did call, they were able to, they had had a cancellation, they could fit mm. us in. So that might be a good time to pick up the phone if you find yep. that that's an issue and just at yep. least check.
4: And especially like if you are, come, as, you, as you mentioned, coming from a further distance, I mean, this may be your only chance, certainly from a pre-application point of view of visiting. So, right. so you, you want to, I mean, take advantage as much as you can and, and get your, uh, get a schedule as, as robust as possible.
1: Right, exactly. Because, you know, I knew that on that trip, there were not going to be any others to that area before he was going to be submitting applications. So it was going to be really important. No. Ironically, the place that accommodated us did not end up making the final list. But ah, I, well, you know, I think that there yeah. is real value in that, you know, one of the reasons that you visit is to see if the college on paper matches the college in person. And um, that's another piece I have always Uh, suggested to students and parents that visiting, if they can, understanding that you can't necessarily visit every school you're going to apply to, nor is it really possible for every family to do, you know, that week of visits was expensive. We flew down. Into one location, we rented a car and drove every day for a week, and then we flew home from a different location. That's yeah. it was expensive, yeah. um, and that's not in everyone's budget. And I, you know, I feel privileged that we were able to do that. But if you, if you can prioritize trying to get on some campuses, there is very little substitute, um, and yeah. it does. I found that it really helped my son to clarify in his own mind. What it, what if I know I like these general characteristics, but what do I really need in a campus to feel comfortable and to really like the school? And there was no other way to really figure that out other than getting on some campuses. And I'm curious and, if you found the same with yeah, your it,
4: child. I mean, it's definitely the case, and I think you also have to realize that the colleges they want you to visit. They want to yeah. be able to sell. I mean, not sell necessarily, but but show. Their campus, show their show their facilities, I mean, maybe talk with I me, mean, show their students. Mm-hmm. and so fortunately, we I think are finding ourselves in a little bit better look, spot where we can go back and visit visit these campuses mm-hmm. unlike we not doing we weren't able to do that at like a year ago, let's say. right so so yes, it's, it's so important, and certainly, I mean, with my older child, it is really important for him to be to sort of visualize himself on these different campuses. And it helped out. And I think for my younger son, who in some ways I think has less of an idea of what mm-hmm. he's looking for right now. So I think for him, it's even more important to go and, and visit these places and spend time, talk with the students, talk with the admission officers and and try to figure out, again, what he is, what he's looking for.
1: Yeah. So we have a couple of minutes left and I wanted to talk about what do you do? Besides the information session and tour, what are yeah. some suggestions that you have for kind of maximizing that time on campus?
4: So, I mean, depending on like when you're visited, certainly if you're visiting during the school year when the kids are, when uh, classes are in session, I'm a big fan of spending time in the dining hall, just mm-hmm. sort of going and sitting down, having a meal, seeing students, how they're interacting with each other. Chances are, if, if you look like a prospective student and family, Someone's going to come over and say hi and ask if you have any questions. Mm
0: -hmm.
4: Um, I think certainly given whatever your academic interests are, um, maybe reaching out to the professor or to um, uh, different academic areas and maybe meeting with them during the visit as well. Um, I think also exploring the local area and sort of getting a sense of not just the campus itself, but what does the town feel like? What What kind of amenities are there going to be? Because again, you have to think you'll be spending four years in this location. So yes, you want to be happy with the campus and those facilities, but also sort of spending time in the the local area as well.
1: Right. Yeah, I would I uh, would second all of that. I you know when we went on not to harp on my own personal experience, but my son and I are both really into food, and so mm-hmm. one of the things that I did when I was planning it is found a really good restaurant at yeah. every one of the places that we went and they were mostly not fancy, right? Cause you're in college towns, but right. you know, just finding what is, Known as some of the better places to eat nearby, and um, so it was almost part food tour, part college tour. But you know that was it was fun, and that was something that was really important. Um, I don't anticipate that he will spend a whole lot of time outside of the dining halls because that meal plan is going to be pricey. But <laughs> I, it is good to know, you know what what else is there. And I would say yeah. for that, his favorite schools, the ones that made the top of his list he did have almost an equally great uh, reaction to the area that the college was in as he did Mm -hmm. to the college itself. And I noticed that that was, those two things kind of went hand in hand for him. So. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Jay, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for sharing your insight, both as an educator and a dad around the whole college visit planning process. I appreciate you taking the time to be here today.
4: No, it's my pleasure. And I, I just, one last piece of advice is just that, I mean, it's a time where you can enjoy spending time with your son or daughter and so yes. just make the most of it and um and enjoy the adventure and enjoy the and, and enjoy the time together and all the things that will will come about
1: yes and don't actually kill them if you set foot on campus and the second that you do they say oh yeah i'm definitely not going to go here we don't even really right. need to visit <laughs> i may have done that to my own parents <laughs> A few moons ago. The only thing I could say in my in my favor is that we had not traveled a great distance. It was a relatively local school, but still, Um, I know students do do that. And you just have to kind of as a parent grin and go with it. Exactly. Um, And yeah, but it it should be fun. I I found it to be fun. Um, Next week, Ian and Sally are hosting uh, and we're doing a full show focused on Ron Lieber's The Price You Pay for College. So if you have read it and you're curious about our take on it or if you have been meaning to read it but don't really have the time, well, you're in luck. If you watch the show next week, you are going to get a really nice overview of what's in there and um, and our thoughts Uh, Also, don't forget, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. The more of those we get, the easier it is for others to find us. I would certainly appreciate it if it was a five-star review. but, uh, you know, regardless, if you would go on there and review us, we would appreciate it. If you have questions, we do a listener question and answer segment, usually about once a month. Um, and we need your questions for those. So you can send them to us on Facebook, on Instagram. We're um, at at CollegeCoachBH. Uh, also, you could just email them straight up to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Um, And we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.